Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and for today's Axon Bulletin, I'm delighted to be joined by Lawrence Conley and Natasha Miko. Once again, it must be Tuesday. I've not been on the Bulletin since last Wednesday, so it's a welcome back to me as well. Uh, I thought that it would be good to mix it up a wee bit. So on a Monday, you're going to be faced with uh, Russell and Kevin. On a Wednesday, it will be Colin and Amy. And on a Friday, Anthony, Laura and Jim. But on a Tuesday and Thursday, I will join the rest of the team. So, welcome back to the show, guys. How how you been? Good, thank you. Apart from, you know, Sunday night aside. Otherwise, it seems okay. All season, how you been? Aye, everything's fine except the football. That's <laughs> what we've been getting. Now, yep. 
We are going out live on Twitter, Facebook and on YouTube. Uh, we do monitor the comments. Please keep them coming in. Uh, your co- comments are key to making this interactive. Uh, it's all about opinions. So if you disagree, uh, get involved. We're going to be talking about what has actually happened since Sunday. You know, Because every time there's a, a bad result like that, there's a fallout. And I was talking last night and someone asked me about oh, how, how's the podcast going. And I've got to be honest, see when we get beat, it goes absolutely mm. mental. I mean, the, the amount of people that tune in. And I think that's because people want to vent their anger, their frustration, uh, make their points. But it, I take no pleasure from that. I've got to be honest with you. Because, you, you know, if we weren't getting that amount of people tuning in, that would probably mean that Celtic were doing better. So I would, I would much prefer the latter, Natasha, trust me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, it's one thing that you guys were perhaps accused of after the game on Sunday um, who were on, that they were, you know, smiling or being jovial or trying to see the positives. Like, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to, you know, we all accept and we all appreciate how terrible this season has been. Um, but, you know, if we were to hold down tools and not bother talking about it and only be miserable, then, you know, the podcast wouldn't exist. So, you know, it's up to us and it's up to the guys who came on after Sunday to come on, do the show, make the best of what they can and try and inject a little bit of life back into the support. And people need that. People appreciate that when you're, you know, feeling unhappy at the way things are going and um, when it's all pretty miserable. It's sometimes a great outlet to, you know, come on, listen to this podcast and listen to other people feeling the same as you are. You know, it's a great outlet for that. It is the other thing that I enjoyed last week, taking a couple of days away from actually being involved directly with the, the broadcast, is I enjoyed just sitting watching it because it's difficult sometimes to know how it appears to the audience. So it was good getting some feedback in and around things like adverts. So when you're watching live, you don't get any adverts popping up. Um, but once uh, the live broadcast is finished and it sits on all the platforms, then there's a, a default setting. And what happened was it was basically bombarding the bulletins with adverts. So I'm going to apologise. That wasn't me trying to make a quick buck. Um, it, de- it defaulted when you switch the ad settings on. It defaults to this every five seconds job. So that's sorted. And apologies for anybody because I was watching it and it was frustrating me. So I, I felt your pain. Lawrence, going into this season, we decided because of the season that it promised to be, but also because of the lockdown and everything that was happening and the fact that it does fill a void for a lot of people, we decided to go live every single day on a Celtic state of mind. Now, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I thought it was going to be a completely different uh, conversation that we were going to have every day and particularly after match days. But it has turned in, I guess, to us looking at every single nuance of Celtic. What's gone wrong? And sometimes people would accuse you of being negative but it is difficult when you're you're trying to strip back all the layers at Celtic Park it is sometimes difficult to find a positive and I'm going to bring up Lawrence the first point coming in from AJC Technology Videos welcome to the show you're commenting on YouTube I Lenny rebuilding his own demolition okay right you are that is the biggest thing for me I, I watched with interest he gave a few post-match interviews Lawrence and when he was talking about, first of all, he was asked about a rebuild. Is it a big rebuild? And he admitted, yes, it is. I think we all know the size, the magnitude of the rebuild. And he said, I've done it before. So obviously that that was something you and I have, have had a wee WhatsApp conversation about. Do you think he has done it before? 
Did it 14 players one se- close season, McGeady and 13 others out the door. Uh, so I don't know, it's 14 players, a big rebuild. Perhaps, you know, but, but it was a long time ago. Uh, long time ago now. Uh, yeah, I, I would say 14 players is probably a bit of a rebuild on it. Uh, you're bringing in Hooker, etc. at that time in Yama, but uh, is he going to get the chance to do it again? You know, Lenny seems to, to think he is. I, I'm not too sure. It, it's hard to get kind of, any communication from the club. Is it exactly what the plan is? It's just, the time we keep going back to look, just tell us what, what you're planning. You don't need to go into the details. Just say, listen, is the review ongoing? Is it not ongoing? Have you decided that Neil's staying? Have you decided exactly what's the plan for the future? If it's that the new CEO, we want him to come in and have a look at things over the summer and he'll make a decision once he's in the door. Just tell us that. It's can't be that hard to tell us. You and I have locked horns throughout the season, Lawrence, um, but obviously that's fine because we can get away with that because we've known each other for many, many years and it's good to debate and disagree. But you eventually came round to the, the thinking that there was change required at Celtic Park. When you hear Neil Lennon saying, I'm here for the rebuild, I've done it before, I think I deserve a chance. Do you think he deserves a chance? I mean, the reason I'm asking that is that was a long time ago and I think this is a bigger rebuild. Yes, the club did need someone to galvanise it when he came in first time round after the Tony Mowbray disaster. Um, I've got to call it that because it was really poor during the Tony Mowbray era. And he did have to rebuild the side he did. But this is a bigger rebuild for me, Lawrence. And the... The actual depth that we have fallen to now, I feel, is even worse than what we were what we were seeing back then. I mean, Gordon Strachan's last season was poor by his own standards. He's admitted that after winning the league for Tommy, um, winning three in a row, you know, with hindsight, which is we know is, is great looking back, he should have walked, but he didn't. He gave it another season. And it was a poor season for Celtic. I think it was one of the ones that you really regret because you've seen points of that season where we could have done things better, particularly in the transfer market in the January. You remember the Stephen Fletcher fiasco where we could have signed them and we didn't. You know, and we've been there since uh, in similar situations. And then Mowbray comes in, very expensive um, acquisition, bringing Mowbray and his backroom team in. And yeah, it was poor, but I don't think this job could be compared to the job that, that Neil Lennon had first time round. And by the way, yes, he brought success to the club, but not immediate success, Lawrence. I mean, that first season, we didn't win the league. No, 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 we, we didn't, you know. Uh, I, think it's, I think you're right, I think it's a bigger rebuild. If you look, you know, we need a new keeper. Out of defence, who stays? You'd like to think we could keep Chris Ayer. Well, who else in defence is going to be not, is Welsh going to be good enough to be a first team starter or is he going to be back up he's definitely going to be first team squad I think Taylor's a first team squad player you go to midfield but probably central midfield are probably okay defensive midfield may be okay James Forrest comes back wide you need some, you need another winger and up front if, if Edward goes you're, you're left with a, a yet in Clamala because goodness knows what, what Griff's going to be there so just about every area of the park is kind of deficient, isn't it? So it's going to be a, a huge rebuild. You brought up a few points there, uh, which I'll throw over to yourself, Natasha. First of all, the rebuild. What was your thoughts on Neil Lennon's comments in relation to, I've done it before? Do you think he has tackled a job of this magnitude before? 
I don't know if anyone has at Celtic, to be honest. You know, it's not just about rebuilding the team that are on the pitch. It's about, you know, a rebuild in terms of the whole structure, perhaps. It's about rebuilding the relationship with the fans, and that's key. And Lennon's certainly not the man to do that. It's it's too far gone for him to do that. Um, no matter what he does now, between now and the end of the season, his relationship with the fans is sadly over and the fans do not want to see him there next season. So regardless of whether or not he's the man to bring in the players on the pitch, it doesn't matter because he's not the man to rebuild the relationship with the fans. Um, and that's the big issue. Um, so in terms of the rebuild, yes, we need one. No, he's not the man to do it. And I, I get what Lawrence is saying that every area of the pitch needs looked at. But on, on the other hand, you know, there is the core of a good squad there of players that I think we can and we will keep. You know, you know, you even look at your core midfield, if we've got McGregor, we've got Sorrow, we've got Turnbull, you know, that's a good centre of the squad there. Welsh looks like he could come into a game. Can we keep Ayer? Probably not. Maybe Julian in nine months' time, you know, Greg Taylor's sort of settling into that left back slot, whether he's the level that we want is another question. Forrest coming back in as a good winger. Can Mikey Johnston perhaps fill a slot? Can we keep El Yunusi for five million? You know, there's good players there in the good core of a team. Um, See, so I think there will be a lot of coming and going, but it's not as massive as it's perhaps getting made out to be in terms of personnel. Um, the biggest thing we need to do, of course, is replace the management team and everything flows from that. Um, that's got to be the first step and it's got to be in the board's minds now. You know, I've been obviously like everybody else, really picking the bones of this and thinking there must be a reason why no decision's been made. I mean, you look at the the people who make the decisions at Celtic in in business and life, they are paid to make these big decisions. They can see what we surely they can see what we have been witnessing. But then certain comments are made by Neil Lennon, who obviously is delivering the message far more regularly than anyone else from Celtic. And he comes out and says it's not been the unmitigated disaster that some people are making out. Now, surely that isn't the feeling at the club. If this isn't an unmitigated disaster, then I would absolutely hate to see what an unmitigated disaster of a season was because, you know, I don't think it can possibly get worse than this. You know, in full context, you know, we've had bad seasons before, we've had bad runs, we've had bad decades. But in context, this season is an unmitigated disaster. This is our big season. This is our record-breaking 10-in-a-row season um, that we've been leading up to for nine years. And, you know, it's not even as if we've come close and fallen at the final hurdle it's not as if we've really competed and been blown away by a great Rangers team you know we've we never really got started you know it went wrong from the get-go and it's every decision made since has been the wrong one you know so it's not like we came close and we tried and we hold our hands up it's been a disaster and his failure to recognize that either is trying to save himself and save his job or it's completely detached from the reality of what's going on here for the fans now, Lawrence, we've spoken about Neil Lennon first time round and the rebuilding job that he had on his hands. I'll probably be jumping back um, to a similar scenario where let's go back to the last time anybody in Scotland uh, was trying to win 10 in a row. Now, Celtic obviously stopped that and many Celtic fans prefer to call it one in a row because, you know, we're talking about our um, achievements rather than somebody else's failure. If you, if you call it one in a row, so absolutely. Now, after that season, obviously the manager left, and thereafter there was a period 
whereby that pendulum swung back in the direction of Ibrox. So after Vim Janssen, you had Joseph Venglos. And then after Joseph Venglos, you had John Barnes and Kenny Dalgleish, the dream team, as it was called. Now, that was two seasons of abject failure, you know, domestically and in Europe. Yes, I know we won a cup under Kenny Dalgleish, but, you know, it was a forgettable period for Celtic. Now, after that, after that season when Barnes left after the Inverness Cali game and then Barnes took interim control of the team, we were in a situation then, and I'm, I'm going back to what Natasha was saying, where there was actually the nucleus of a very good side. But it was completely fractured in, in the fact that, you know, there had been four managers in three seasons at, at the helm and many of the players had had to adapt from Vim Janssen to Venglos to Barnes to Dalgleish. That was difficult. We had brought players in who, you know, had good pedigree. Guys like Stan Petrov, if you think back to trying to get his permit, you know, and, and having to get testimonials from Haristo Stoichkov. And then when you seen him playing, you thought, what's all the, the carry on about this guy? He's absolutely murder. He looked terrible. He was getting played at fullback. He was overweight. He couldn't speak the language. He was being written off at that time. So sometimes people revise history because Petrov went on to become a fantastic player for Celtic. And, you know, he's one of these guys in the modern age that you ask anybody about and they, they talk about him in glowing terms. But back then, that's not the Stan Petrov we we're talking about. So, you know, I'm looking at this squad at the moment and I see it more as that kind of rebuild, you know, the post Dalgleish and Barnes rebuild, Lawrence, whereby, you know, they, you know, Martin O'Neill comes in, he inherits the squad that we're talking about. He's looking at that squad thinking, well, I've got a Champions League winner in the midfield and Paul Lambert. I've got Maravchik, who's just a wizard. Um, at that time, obviously, Larson and don't forget Larson had only come back for one game at that stage that was the last game of the previous season against Dundee United where he came on as a sub sporting a ridiculous moustache watch the footage he definitely had a moustache and Martin O'Neill inherited the squad that had loads of promise but also had big name signings like Petrov who came in for a lot of money uh, like Berkovic at that time and obviously the Brazilian Rafael, and we know what happened with him. But I think it's similar now. Whoever comes in is inheriting a very good squad, albeit a fractured squad, but with some signings that are in place who haven't really um, influenced Celtic season, but they might. So when you're looking at that, Lawrence, we've brought in seven players uh, this season. You know, it's not as though we sat and rested on our laurels and thought we've got a good enough squad. We've brought in seven players. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. 
As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Seven first team players. You know, some people might say, well, David Tumble was a, was a project and we got lucky because when he came in, he played so well. I'm not so sure he was a project. I think he was always part of that first team squad. Now, many of them, four of them, in actual fact, will be going back to their parent clubs. Do you think we can resurrect careers? such as Al Benayete and Barkas, because Barkas was in the news this morning. I was reading that perhaps he's going back to Greece. Do you think we'll cut our losses? I mean, anybody coming in, I agree with Natasha, we've got a squad there that if we get the right management team in, yeah, there's a rebuild. Yes, there's going to be a very difficult and busy transfer window ahead. But it's not um, a case of tearing it all up and starting again. You touched on can he resurrect careers? If the new manager can't re- resurrect careers, he's probably the wrong guy for Celtic. I mean, look at Bobby Petter. Look at Chris Sutton when he signed there. And he'll arguably careers resurrected. The market we shop in, we seem to take players that you know aren't doing so well and we're looking for the manager to, to bring something out of them that they've not shown for a while, whether it's Elanoussi or Ajeti just now. But certainly that's the type of manager we're looking for, isn't it? Someone that can hmm. get players' careers back on track. I mean, there's players there, but how many will be staying and going? Out of the loan signings, who's worth keeping? Uh, well, I'll ask you the question. Who would you keep out of the four loans? Who would you keep? For me, no one out of four. I, I don't think they've done Not even all. Moy? Not even El Yunusi? He's hot and cold. He's scored a fair amount of goals. But, you know, it's down to the, the new manager. If he thinks he can get more out of him and play him better. But uh, so far, he seems to go missing in a lot of games. But maybe that's the formation we're playing in. The tactics we've got in the park, it doesn't suit him. It's really, you know, would I keep Bobby Petter when he'll come in? Probably not. But he went out on to be an outstanding player under under Petter, uh, on didn't he, Petter? So I remember two games in particular, Lawrence. Um, in the game against Ajax, which was a big game for Petter going back to the Netherlands to show what he can do. He was very close at that stage to getting a call-up for the Netherlands, in actual fact. And then the 6-2 game, against Rangers which we'll all remember and he was outstanding that day um, Bobby Petter interestingly enough I know I, I kind of digress from time to time but uh, when I interviewed John Barnes last uh, year last year it was Barnes made a few comments in relation to Bobby Petter which I felt were unfair because he had never spoken about them himself so I spoke to Bobby because Bobby as you know Lawrence plays for the Celtic greats who are sponsored by a Celtic state of mind uh, and I spoke to him and he was he was okay with that um, but he would have preferred um, if he had told the story rather than John Barnes and this was a story about Barn, um, Barnes inviting Bobby Petter to the, into his office uh, and Petter having such a hard time of it at that time that he broke down in tears this was all revealed by John Barnes when I was speaking to him and Bobby had never spoken about it but what he did say talking about the turnaround and this is this is relevant to, to the here and now is I just took it for granted Lawrence that Martin O'Neill came in with his magic wand and he resurrected the career of Bobby Petter and Chris Sutton obviously who had been a £10 million signing for Chelsea and scored one goal uh, but he resurrected his career he breathed new life into Henrik Larsson who as I say before he'd only had one game post leg break before Martin O'Neill came back in uh, but he said no you know what it wasn't actually Martin O'Neill it was Tommy Burns 
It was Tommy Burns who worked behind the scenes with Bobby uh, to build him up, uh, not just in terms of his technique, because Bobby Petter had technique. It was all about his confidence. Building, rebuilding the man after what had happened under John Barnes. So I think that shows you just how important the management team is, not just the figurehead, you know. You've got to have these guys in the background, Natasha, who are able to step in and assist the manager. And I've seen a thing, and it's been picked up on by some of the media sources on Sunday night when Griffiths is getting ready to come on. And I don't know if he's putting tape on his socks or if he's tying his laces or if he's just pretending to do any of the above. But he, he wasn't listening to Strachan. No. And, you know, Blaney is taking the brunt of this. That's what happens when you're a football manager, and I totally get that. But we can't, we can't give the full responsibility to Neil Lennon. The full team, the full coaching side, have to take the responsibility here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if we you know we're pinning the blame on Lennon for various elements, then that can equally, you know, the same finger can be pointed at Kennedy and Strachan. You know, you've got Lennon coming out essentially after the game saying that he doesn't know what to do to make his defence set pieces any better, that he's tried and it's just not fixable. Um, and, you know, it's a stat that was put up during the game. 43% of our goals we've lost this season have come from set pieces. And, you know, Lennon's pointing the finger at the defenders, strangely saying that perhaps they don't want to head the ball, which is bizarre. But... Um, you know, there's got to be a stage, um, and it's actually a point that Anthony Joseph made on, on Twitter the other day, which is quite well put, is that, you know, you're saying that the players aren't learning, you know, but you're the one that is teaching them. Mm-hmm. So, And if you've got a class of pupils and one of them fails an exam, then, you know, you quite rightly blame the pupil. If you've got a class of pupils and all of them fail the exam then you've got to look at the teacher and the teaching methods which clearly aren't working. And right now, if we're looking at Celtic as a classroom, all of those players are failing the exam. Um, So you've got to turn to the teacher. And in this case, that's not just Lennon. You know, that's Kennedy and Strachan as well. You know, they're the ones who are out on the training pitch all day, every day, and they're not able to teach them how to defend a set piece. You know, that's that fault lies at them, you know, not just the players. And there's been absolutely no recognition of that by by Lennon or any of them. You know, Lennon points to a million elements, all these mitigating circumstances, the players, the pitches, the weather. You know, never once, you know, does he ever look at himself or his coaches. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. Now, the good thing, actually, for uh, one of the good things for the audience that uh, I won't be on the bulletin five days a week now is that I don't talk about uh, some elements more than once to different uh, pundits. I only speak about them once. And I haven't spoken about these mitigating circumstances, Natasha, in relation to uh, Neil Lennon's comments. Now, yesterday I was talking about this and I said that, you know, it's almost as if he's speaking in riddles. So on the one hand, as Lauren says, we're hearing nothing from the club. But when I look at that, I think, well, we're not. We're not getting statements from the club. We're not getting statements from the hierarchy uh, of the club. But we hear from Neil Lennon a couple of times every week. Not directly, uh, but, you know, on the press conference duties is Neil Lennon. But, you know, there's one thing communicating, but there's another thing just talking in riddles. And Neil Lennon coming out and saying, by the way, there are mitigating circumstances here, but I'm not going to reveal what they are. Doesn't help, does it? No, I mean, exactly. The one constant criticism the fans have levied at the club all season is the lack of communication, the disengagement, um, the lack of open honesty. And Lennon coming out and saying, yeah, there is something going on, 
but I can't tell you about it. You know, that only makes it worse. It only sort of amplifies the feelings of the fans of being totally detached from the club. And we all we can all appreciate that there are things that go on at a club behind the scenes that are best not to be made public for whatever reason. Fine, but by saying this, you're bringing it into a public forum. You're telling us it exists, but then that you can't tell us about it. You know, mm. all that's going to achieve is make the fans feel even more detached. So what did he actually try and achieve by saying that? Um, other than, again, to get the finger pointy away from him, to point at some other unknown element that he can't tell us about. I know. And then what happens is we um, discuss it because we are looking at uh, what angle could he have been taking that from. So, Lawrence, when, when we're looking at that, that particular comment and the mitigating circumstances, I do tend to agree um, that it's a case of let's share this responsibility out. It, it's not all my, my fault. But when we're discussing it, what happens is we theorise. And one of the theories that I've, I've read about is that he's talking about the players that wanted away the ones that obviously he commented on after the Ferenc Varos game uh, in August. They wanted away and he was willing to let them go, but they were kept without, you know, his kind of agreement. Now, if that's the case, and as I say, that's not being confirmed. If that's the case, though, let's go back to the teacher argument that was being made before. If that is your biggest complaint that all your best players are there and available to be coached and improved and developed and motivated, then surely, again, that is your responsibility. And that can't be seen as a negative. If you've got four or five, let's say in Cham and Frimpong were two of the players because they have since left, all right? So I think that qualifies that they, they probably were. And there was rumours in, in and around it, you know, um, that they, from sources, that they were two of the players. The other three could be Ayer Christie and Edward. Edward's made his feelings known. Neil Lennon's spoken about that. There's been talk of Ryan Christie wanting to move down south and there's been interest from AC Milan and Ayer. By the way, I don't think it's, it's affected Ayer's performances this season. I, th- I thought, you know, out of this season he's been one of the high points. So let's say there was five and there might have been more because Julien's name's been mentioned. I mean, there's half a dozen players. There's a core of your team. That isn't a negative that you're allowed to keep them, surely. Keeping people that don't want to be there, I don't know, if they're unhappy, you've got, as you said, Lenny's got that tune out them, but I think it's been alluded to on Twitter by people connected with the club, you know, rotten apples in the barrel. It's, yeah, it's, it's a hard ask of Lenny to, to, to get more than half the team that don't want to be there, allegedly. Back, back on form and play, I mean, people are saying Edward's back in form. Is it because he's playing for a move? Out of five, I think you're right. Ayer's the only one that's turned up all season and, and put in performances all season. Mm-hmm. But then again, you're kind of going, well, why are you picking other ones when they don't want to be there and they're not putting in performances? It's an even bigger question. I mean, out, out of the other four, probably Eddie's the only guy we didn't have a replacement for. You, you, you know, you didn't need to play the other ones. Frimpong, you could argue what, because we've got a fairly sizable fee for him. But... Position Christie plays, there's a number of players at the club can play that, play that position. Position Chan plays, there's a number of players can play that position. So if you've got problems having them, you don't need to pick them. You can pick other players to play because we're covered. It's a good point, Lawrence. And I think when I was becoming frustrated after the, the Ferenc Varos um, comments, I did say, well, we brought six in as it was at the time. 
uh, there might be six unhappy players, play the six new guys because they're not unhappy, they've just joined. And that was my kind of take on it. But again, we, we don't know for sure that, that it's that six players. We're looking at the situation and it's an educated guess or an uneducated guess um, as it may be. But when you're looking at, at the performances of these players though, uh, Lawrence, and you mentioned there about Ryan Christie, this, the first thing that, brought, that came to my mind from Sunday night, Natasha, was a situation where John Joe Kenny's come up here and he must be looking about thinking, what an earth have I joined? He's taken her throwing and right in front of him, right in front of him are three players, Tom Rogic, David Turnbull and Ryan Christie. Now they're, they're basically standing almost in a line within a 10 yard kind of space, right? Mm. And it begs the question, do they even know where they're meant to be? Because obviously there has been this suggestion from a few ex-players who have played under Neil Lennon that he doesn't do tactics, you have to figure it out for yourself. So Marvin Bartley says uh, from his time at Hibs, doesn't believe in tactics. Kelvin Wilson didn't do tactics. And Joe Ledley alluded to that as well when he was speaking to Cy Ferry on open goal. You know, it's a big issue because I, obviously I'm sitting watching the game and I'm taking notes. You might think that's sad. It's just so that I do have something to discuss afterwards. And I'm taking notes and I'm trying to figure out where they're all playing. And you're thinking, well, there's, te- there's three number 10s and that they're basically, you know, they're all situated in the same area of the park, yet we have no width. For me, that, that comes down to the manager. Well, that's exactly it. Um, and that's one of the problems when you try and shoehorn three players that play in the same position into different positions and then don't get the best out of them. And it's one thing we've said all season, you know, when you sit and look at Celtic, you think, what shape are they playing? What are we trying to achieve here? You know, where is the shape, where's Rogic meant to be playing where's Christie meant to be playing, what are the tactics and you know you think they're there but you know going by all evidence you know maybe they're not and the frustrating thing is you know listening to John Hughes before the game you know that was refreshing you know he came out, he told us what his tactics were he said how he was going to set up he told us what the game plan was going to be and then executed it perfectly you know his team were going to sit in they weren't going to make stupid mistakes and they were going to wait on their chance from a set piece perfect the three subs they brought on again perfect you know they didn't drop off the levels they didn't mess up the shape the covers do you didn't question why they were being brought on you know and it worked because you know one of them I think eventually ended up winning the free kick that led to the goal so there's a guy who's studied his opposition perfectly and matched them and got the result because of his tactics and because of the way he set his team out and it all made sense and it's frustrating to see another manager just be able to achieve that so well when ours and it's something Kevin touched on yesterday actually is that does he even actually look at the teams we're playing and decide how to set our team up best to match them because there's no evidence of that and you just have to look at the St Johnston game beforehand he pointed out Stevie May as their main threat for St Johnston now at the time Stevie May had started two out of ten games for St Johnston and scored no goals so you know, that was wrong. So how much effort and preparation and tactics does he actually put in? Because it looks like none when we see it on the pitch and all evidence points towards there being none. No, you're right. You're right. And you know, the point that Tony made last Friday, um, and I can draw on people's comments because obviously the contributors to Axom, for me, are are varied and they're insightful, knowledgeable, opinionated. Uh, And often what happens is, I'm not saying you steal their opinions, but their opinions embed themselves on your own kind of mindset. And then before you know it, you're thinking, I agree with that. And he did say, you know, last week about Neil Lennon 
is an analogue manager living in a digital world. And I, I looked at that comment and I knew exactly what he meant because obviously I was around in an analogue world myself. But um, I do rec- I, I think about him turning up at Celtic Park and being in his office and there's probably the to-do manual that that Brendan Rodgers has left for him. You know, you can just imagine it in a file and it's all chronological and it's all neat and tidy. And by the time after Neil Lennon's first day in charge, that's probably been shredded. You know, because I don't, I don't think he's bought into that. Uh, the only thing for me, from speaking to people who've played under him, with him, talking to people within the media who might have got close to him, is that it's not about tactics, and that's worrying. And I think what's got Celtic through under Neil Lennon in the past is we've just had better players, a stronger squad, and an ability when things are. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you. Access to all, every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Going so well, once or twice a season to go back into the transfer market and and buy a a ready-made replacement who's a better player. Has he got an eye for a player? I think he does. I mean, let's be fair, I think he, he definitely does have an eye for a player. Some of the guys mentioned earlier by Lawrence. Yeah, I know for a fact Gary Hooper was identified by Neil Lennon via Jim Melrose, who was doing quite a bit of work down south at that time and who was his agent at that time, Neil Lennon's agent, former Celtic player Jim Melrose. So he does identify a player, he does have an eye for a player. Um, is he a motivator? I think he, he was, but I don't think he's changed his style. Therefore, if you try and deal with Eduard the way that you do, dealt with Tony Stokes, you're going to get a different response. And I think that's the biggest issue here. Now, there's a good point coming through, and it's coming in from Shuggy25. You're commenting on YouTube with a beautiful avatar, uh, Nakamura. Lennon thinks he still has a chance at the Celtic job next year. It worries me that someone higher up has told him this. Now, I'm going back to that time he said there had to be a change in culture. And I think I went on about it for probably seven or eight weeks afterwards. And Jim Orr got to the point where he told me to stop speaking about it. But I think that in order for the rebuild to be successful, it's not about identifying players, bringing them into the club. Because let's be honest, we've brought in seven players, most of whom are international players, who should be doing a good job for Celtic. It's not about identifying players. It's about what you do with them once they come to the club. It's about the culture of the club that they are stepping into. And, you know, we look about, people said I I gave Laxalt uh, unfair criticism the other night. I think what I was saying is my overall um, kind of view on Luxor is it's been dreadfully um, inconsistent. I think it's been disappointing and I think he's regressed. And this is a word we've heard time and time again. So Neil Lennon could go out there in the summer and buy another half a dozen players who are capped for a, a Greece or Norway or whoever it may be, Republic of Ireland. And there's no guarantee that he can mould them into a team. There's no guarantee that he can get a tune out of them. That's my biggest concern because the cultural aspect of it has to change and I think it had to change the first time round when he left and Ronnie Dyla came in and it actually had to change when Ronnie Dyla left because obviously the senior players had created a, a culture whereby they didn't buy into the gaffer so Brennan Rodgers had to come in and you needed a strong character to completely change the culture I think we're at that stage Lawrence would you agree with that or do you think the culture aspect of it has been blown out of proportion no, it's definitely a huge part of the players, isn't it? And any new manager is going to have his own culture or style that he's going to want to bring on board. I mean, 
well, happy to Ronnie was ridiculous the senior pros doing that. You know, they might be professional footballers, but you know, there's only one of them survived at the club after it. You know, it was almost a complete clear out of players that uh, had been causing trouble for the manager. Would we do the same again? I don't know. You know, the, the, the point that you put up has Lenny been told by somebody higher? Maybe he has, because if you're writing what you're saying that. Lenny wanted the players going, the players wanted to go and somebody higher started making decisions on the football side saying, well no, keep the players, it'll be fine there's also the Tommy Johnson argument comes in you know, Lenny wanted Johnson and he's oh no, you're striking as your coach and you said, Lenny doesn't do tactics who done tactics first time round, was it Parker, was it Mayabe, was it Thompson whatever it is, the, the management team just now definitely doesn't work you know, <laughs> there is no way it works, and we know they don't tactics. Carl McGregor said it in two post-match interviews. Yeah. We don't know what we might be doing. More or less that, that, that's kind of paraphrasing both interviews was, we don't know what we might be doing out there. Mm. You, you know, and three players within 10 yards of each other when we've got the ball, you know, nothing like making the part big, is there? With, <laughs> with, three strike, with three strikers on the bench. With three strikers on the bench. That that game last night, for me, I'm uh, you know, and I'm not saying when a player's not playing, he becomes a better player. And I know that's a habit that football fans get into. You know, why you're not playing this one and that one. People were saying it for weeks about Sorrow. They put him in. Lo and behold, he's a great player. So, yeah, you know, it becomes frustrating for a fan watching this where you're starting with one up front. So the first thing that, that I would say, one striker actually up front, first thing I would say is I don't think that's the most effective position for Edouard to play, Natasha, because he doesn't seem to have that. He needs the out ball. He needs the out ball. The intricate play, close ball control is tremendous. But often what happens, I'm going to stand up for him a wee bit here. How many times this season have we seen him where there's been probably four defenders around about him and he tries to meander his way through all four of them? And people say he's being greedy. Sometimes he gets through. He's, he's got the ability to get through. Sometimes it's because he doesn't have the out ball. He doesn't have the striker. Someone like Griffiths who stretches the back line. Now, I've heard time and time again that Celtic last season in the second half of last season, were excellent. You know, they were putting teams to the sword and there was a turnaround and people looked back to this trip, the original, I'm going to call it the original, I know it wasn't the first trip to Dubai, not this season's trip to Dubai, and how that was a turning point in the season. They come back, they find their form. And we look at, well, what changed? In the second half of the season, one of the biggest changes, was Edward was, was dying on his feet and we brought back Lee Griffiths and we played two up front and it worked. It absolutely did work. Now, a game like Sunday night, he's decided not to play Griffiths for whatever reason. Ayeti's come in for a few games and he's been disappointing, let's be honest. Klamala, I don't think, has ever really set the heather alight. There's been moments and you think, oh, he's maybe got something. I remember at McDermott Park, that goal he scored after getting chopped. You thought, he's, you know, he's got the strength. He, he might be a player. But you're looking at that team and you're even at half-time, if you've decided I'm going to go up one up front, at half-time, our discussion was, this isn't working. It's not working. We're not stretching the back line. There's no width. Who's the one guy you go to? You go back to Lee Griffiths. You go to the situation that turned around our season last year. Because is Lee Griffiths a worse player? Well, he's got less games in his legs this season. He's not a worse player. His technique hasn't all of a sudden deserted him. And I just looked at that point where he was coming on. I'll still have the notes in my, my book here. And I was looking at Strachan more than anything else, trying to get a message to, to Griff. And I'm thinking... What can he tell Lee Griffiths about goal, goal scoring? What could he possibly, what information could he impart? And this was in the 65th minute. 
So we were 20 minutes into the second half, by which time the kind of rot had set in, uh, and lo and behold, five minutes later, Ross County score. And I just think, you know, sometimes it's the it's the real obvious things, like uh, you play one up front in three number 10s, that ain't going to work. And... You know, sometimes I think to myself, well, John Kennedy's meant to be this highly rated coach. At what point do you go to that guy who's behind the scenes, who's part of your coaching staff? Like the Tommy Burns example I gave you, where someone is making a difference to the team. You look even back at the, the great Martin O'Neill sides, the great uh, Brendan Rogers side, the great Jock's team sides. It wasn't just about the one man. I mean, they were obviously the, the pivot, but it was about the team. And I don't think Neil Lennon's got... The, the strength in his coaching staff to trust that they're going to assist them along to trust that you know what and it's not about going over the manager's head in doing so but to make sure that Callum McGregor does know what the game plan is because when your vice captain comes out twice in the so-called 10 in a row season and, and says we, we don't know what we're doing you know that, that's a terrible indictment on the entire coaching staff it's not because Neil Lennon's not told them it's because none of them have told them so I think it's time that Neil Lennon, right, is quite rightly being criticised, but it's also time to say, you know what, it's a joint responsibility here. How many times have we said, Natasha, Kennedy should be doing some of these post-matches? I mean, he's come out the other night there, Neil Lennon, and he's done three separate interviews. Mm-hmm. Three separate interviews. He's getting asked the same questions. He looks absolutely struggling, bedraggled, shattered, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where he's now repeating himself. And then I think in the last interview, he walks away before it's finished. He's done in with it. So we could say, oh, that's arrogance, uh, Neil Lennon. That's typical Neil Lennon. But let's, let's look at the situation as balanced as possible and say, has he been hung out to dry here by the board? I mean, he's got this review hanging over him since December. We're now into February. We'll soon be into March. That's a huge amount of pressure to be carrying, isn't it? It must be. It absolutely must be. And you can tell it's taking its toll. He's getting more frustrated. There's these outbursts in the interviews. Um, and no wonder he's a man under a serious amount of pressure. But pointing the finger at his management team isn't wrong. And I think what you'd find is if the board or the club had any confidence in Kennedy as a coach or a man manager, then he would have been interned by now. Um, and the fact that he isn't probably speaks volumes in terms of what he's doing at the club as well. Um, the three of them together are wholly uninspiring. I mean, you just have to look at the body language of all of them on the side of the pitch, stacking with that iPad and Griffiths not speaking to him. Kennedy looks miserable every time the camera cuts to him. And then obviously you get the photos of Lennon sitting with his feet up. I mean, it doesn't matter if, you know, we're... 3 0 up. I don't want to see my manager sitting in the touchline with his feet up. I wasn't feeling that relaxed. You know, I couldn't have sat in front of my TV with my feet up, you know, watching the game. I was much more animated than that from the from my own home. And, you know, the fact is we weren't a 3 0 up at the time. We were 0 0 with the bottom side or as they were at the time. You know, that is not the attitude I want to see from my manager. And again, it cuts to John Hughes, who's on the touchline. He's animated. He's shouting instructions to his players. And all we ever hear is, you know, Lennon's occasional, you know, go on then or more intensity or he's sitting with his feet up. I mean, that's not what I want from the side of the pitch. That's not going to inspire me if I'm on it. No, absolutely not. You know, other managers that have completely outfoxed them, and you're right to, to praise John Hughes. Yogi obviously was on this podcast um, during the season, earlier earlier part of the season, and he's a manager that you know I've always had a, a great deal of affection for Big Yogi because he is an old fashioned manager. So this this proves that it's not about 
being an old-fashioned manager is about being an old-fashioned manager who can ad- adapt to the modern game. And I think you're seeing it uh, in the likes of Yogi, who's able to to get these results. And it's tactics based, you know, it's it's data based. He's looking at that that Celtic side and he knows where to hurt them. Whereas we're, I, I think Kevin Graham's right. We're not looking at Ross County and saying how do we hurt? We just got better players than Ross County, which means we're going to get a result. Uh, and it's happened so often this season. Jimmy Goodwin has outfoxed Neil Lennon this season. Uh, David Martindale two draws in a week um, and you know you see it time and time again now we've seen a lot of uh, comments coming through all season in relation to the fact that you know the fans have protested um, various uh, podcasts have been very vocal you look at the season that we've had and I was looking at this yesterday every single month you could actually go through every single month and find a mini disaster unraveling throughout the season. You go back to August, ball and golly, you know, Ferenc Varos, the comments afterwards. September kick-started a five-month period where we didn't beat a side in the top six. October, we were defeated against Rangers without a shot at goal. Aberdeen three, Celtic three, where we were ahead and we couldn't maintain the lead to see the match out. November, two defeats against Sparta Prague, home and away, 4-1. At home, it was a second string side, remember. They were ravaged by COVID. Uh, we move on to, uh, he shouldn't have survived the second game against Sparta Prague. Yet he does. We place Ross County at home in the cup. This historical cup run that we're on. He drops Callum McGregor and we get beat. There's protests after the game. December, moving into December, Celtic 1, St. Johnson 1 at home. A fluky equaliser that we score near the end of the game. But all we get told is, but we won the quadruple treble. We drew with a championship side 3-3. If you really want to get any of the nitty gritty yeah we did win a quadruple treble but we only contributed two games to that this season Aberdeen and Hearts moving into January Rangers beat us one nothing at Ibrox and a lot of Celtic fans think well that's it because we played well for 60 minutes that's the league gone we jump on a plane to Dubai on the other side of the world during a pandemic and we know what happened then now in January we dropped 12 points 9 of those points were post Dubai and we move into February and even more and at the end of January I almost forgot St Mirren beat us for the first time in 31 years at Celtic Park so it's not as though this is a knee-jerk reaction it's not as though we're entitled Celtic fans we've been screaming from the rooftops for months there's massive trouble in paradise. And I think the big the big question is, how do the fans have a collective voice, Natasha? And a couple of weeks ago, yeah, you got in touch to tell me that there were moves happening in the background. Tell us a wee bit more about that and what we can do on Axom at, at some point this week to put that message across. Yeah, absolutely. So I think some fans will have seen um, across the Twitter channels um, the announcement of Celtic Shared. Um, And if you haven't, go and check out their Twitter page. Um, They've got some great details on there about who they are and what they do. There's a question and answer. Uh, a video so go and check that out um, but what they're looking to achieve is in the short term anyway is greater representation of the fans at Celtic Park it's one thing that we've all felt has really lacked this season um, and the way to properly achieve this is if we start to bring groups together um, so prominent fan groups media groups supporters buses um supporters clubs, if we can all come together um, and have one combined voice under one umbrella to try and push for change at Celtic Park, then this is going to be the best way to achieve it. Um, The Celtic Trust are involved, they've already done great work in this area Um, 
So that's just getting started at the moment. Um, there's going to be kickoff from that over the next few weeks. And one of the first steps to, to kicking off this new initiative is that we've got a couple of guys going to come on um, Axon on Thursday um, to tell us a bit more about it. And they'll answer some questions as well. So 11 o'clock on Thursday morning, um, tune in, have a listen, um, let us know your thoughts. Um, and beforehand, uh, if you've had a chance to check out the Celtic Shared Twitter page and if you've got any questions that you'd like us to put to the guys, then drop us a message and, and let us know and we'll we'll ask them on the show. Absolutely brilliant. Really looking forward to that on mm-hmm. Thursday. Uh, there's a few comments coming in uh, welcoming me back to the hot seat. Uh, so just to explain exactly what's happening with that, I thought you might want a break from the norm and variety is the spice of life as I say but at the same time I've got a really strong group of contributors on Axom and I don't have to be here every day so Kevin's going to run the show on Monday Colin's going to run it on Wednesday Laura's going to run it on Friday and I'll come back in for Tuesday, Thursday so really it's to mix it up it's to make sure that people don't think we've got an agenda that's been driven by me and my thoughts and my beliefs and my opinions and it's really just to get as many people involved as possible but it really does showcase the, the wealthy talent that we've got on Axom and it also allowed me to go away and do other things Axom related so on Thursday as Natasha says we'll be speaking to uh, some of the representatives from this group Celtic Shared which I think is a great initiative uh, and then on Thursday night I'm going to do another interview we've had a couple dropping in recently so we had Mark Hughes Mark Bowen uh, and also Ramon Vega um, we've had Jock Brown in the last week but it wasn't on the Axom channel it was on Amy Canavan's own show this soccer supernova um, coming up we've got people like Gary Caldwell on Amy's show Mark Wilson I know he divides opinion but you know he's, he's a good good talker so it'll be interesting to hear from, from Mark and on Thursday night here's one for you Lawrence I'll be interviewing Stuart Slater oh happy days bums and seats mate uh, kind of player that does that isn't he good start to, to his career good first game against Rangers kind of Poor ending, but the press slaughtered him. What was it? Because it's been like 14 games to score his first goal, and he was a wing and he was getting slaughtered. And I think Rangers had signed a big dunk, retained 18 games or something like that to score his first goal. No condemnation of dunk in the press, but Slater was getting. Uh, Slater, you were going to say that. Yeah, for <laughs> not scoring. But uh, Jim McLean definitely uh, showed David Murray how to get some money. He did, he did. I mean, there were heady days uh, for some, but Celtic were trying to enter the transfer market and compete and go toe-to-toe. So there was a whole um, series of signings back then under Liam Brady. Liam Brady himself, let's be honest, massive name in European football, great career in English and Italian football. But I think the Celtic board were kind of out of ideas. So they were looking across the city and they thought, well, they've brought in Souness from Italian football. We're going to bring in Liam Brady. Brady will be our Souness. It didn't quite work out. We then started throwing money at it. So the first guy in was Casker, you know, 1.1 million. Uh, this is just to cheer everybody up who's maybe feeling that this is the worst time ever for Celtic. We then bring in uh, Gary Gillespie for a million quid, uh, Tony Mowbray for one million pounds from Borough. And later on, it wasn't in the first season, but later on we bring in Stuart Slater, Andy Payton and Rudy Vata on the same day. And Stuart Slater was 1.5 million quid. He was the record signing for Celtic at that time. And it was quite a coup because he had been uh, an England B internationalist, uh, had played with Liam Brady at West Ham, uh, 
and he looked brilliant against Rangers I remember the game well uh, Lawrence he also looked outstanding away to Borussia Dortmund you know this is the thing we had some incredible results uh, in the darkest of times there was a few really bad results against Rangers but often we could go toe to toe with them and in Europe you know now and again we'd pull out an incredible result against the likes of Borussia Dortmund or Sport in Lisbon and um, Cologne Yep. Thunder out John Collins, what a game that was he? Three nothing we beat them at yeah. Celtic Park. Yep. Outstanding, wasn't it? And I realise this is a wee bit before your time, Natasha, so we won't bore you any longer. But Stuart Slater, <laughs> is, he's going to come in, he's going to chat to us about coming up to Celtic, uh, his career since then as well. Uh, he seems like a lovely chap. I've always wondered about guys like Slater because I don't think he's done much uh, in the, the the way of speaking about Celtic since he left. A lot of the players didn't really get asked back. You know, I, I, I spoke to Andy Payton last year. He's never been back to Celtic Park. A lot of these guys are kind of forgotten about so we'll be chatting to Stuart Slater it gives me time to do things like that and other acts on projects that will give you more free content so I'm, I'm sure that's a good enough trade-off um, but let's have a look at some more of the comments coming through um, Wallace Pierce is feeling our 1980s throwback Lawrence Partizan in 89 what a night of ups and downs that was a game where Jack Janowski scored four but we still went out Hugh Jameson uh, Rudy Vata the Albanian Pele as no one ever said Vata Vata is a great guy though Lawrence because again he plays for the Axom Greats doesn't he the Celtic Greats but after the left Celtic when it had a career in the Bundesliga after after then you know Vata was uh, I, I think he was a, a good player for Celtic you know, but yeah, even only have a fairly successful spell in the, the Bundesliga. You, you know, as much as kind of he gets slated in Scotland a bit, you know, and he he's, he's still got it with somebody kind of sixty yards pa- passes and uh, not to you, mate. You, you don't get that far up the park, but <laughs> <laughs> ah, you're right. Thanks for that, Lawrence. Moving on. Um, yeah, he takes it a bit serious, does Rudy, even even these days. But Rudy Vata's son, um, last I heard, was still at Celtic. Uh, and he's a very, very promising youth player at Celtic Park. So he was born in Glasgow. I think Rudy's wife is Glaswegian. So, yes, one to look out for in the future is Rudy's son. Uh, and when we asked him about his son, he basically said, ah, he's OK. He's fine. Uh, rather than uh, wax lyrical about him. But that that's just Rudy Vata for you. Now, looking ahead then, I mean... The, the league is long gone when we look ahead to the fact that we've still got two games Natasha to play against Rangers uh, regardless of what anyone might say and I know Lawrence is very vocal in relation to officialdom in, in Scottish football absolutely um, you know the Scottish government the Scottish media Lawrence I get all that but Rangers in terms of their form have been impressive and you know I know that they've been scraping a few results recently are you fearful at any point in this season, Natasha, of going into the, the last two games against Rangers in the state that Celtic are in, with no tactics, being unable to defend a set piece? Is that a concern for you? Of course it's concerning. I mean, it's concerning with every game we go into at the moment, regardless of who, if it's against the bottom side or the top side. I'm concerned about our defending. Um Am I concerned about the Rangers games? They are slightly different, aren't they? Um, it's this old myth that nothing matters when it's a derby game. But to be honest, I think it does come into play slightly. And we saw that in the in the game in January. You know, we were consistently the better side for the large parts of that game. And then obviously a red card changes things. You know, we were coming off, you know, not the best run of form. They were getting all the praise in the media about how wonderful they were. You know, we were the better team on the day. So 
so you know that can happen. Um, so regardless of the form running up to the the couple of games we've got left to play them, you know anything can happen. But you know, of course, I'm concerned. Um, I hope that it'll never get into the the heights that we've achieved over the last few years. The five ones, the five nils. Um, you know, you can't take that away from us. Those were excellent days, and I just hope we we can deny them similar days. This is a big thing, going back, and it is all relative, I know that, but going back to the days of Rudy Vat, I remember him scoring against a very, very strong Rangers side, and it was in the Hamden season, which was a dreadful season. The thing is, it's not about being a Selig da, Lawrence, but you know, people saying this is a worse season in, in memory. Maybe in some people's memories, but there, there were worse. There were a lot worse seasons. I remember finishing fifth under Billy McNeil uh, in the 1990s. There were worst seasons but I'm not going to get into a 1990s rant here see when we finished fifth in the 90s I remember my dad telling me oh, this is nothing compared to the 50s son yeah exactly <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so it, so it goes on I know and so it goes on but the, the point I was making there is even back then we could pull out a result we could pull a result out the hat against a very strong Rangers side who were on their way as we now know to winning nine t- titles in a row and we beat them 3 nothing at home that day my concern is you know I look at the scoreline when we were beating Rangers 5 nothing after 50-odd minutes. And I look back to that scoreline because, you know, looking back there, you're thinking we should have beaten them 8 nothing, 9 nothing. It should have been a record yeah. uh, derby result, uh, without a doubt, and it, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. Are we that bad, Lawrence? Are we going to get done over by, by Celtic? Are we that, um, you know, systemically bad at the back that uh, they're going to see our weaknesses? I don't think we're that bad or in danger of that. But I would say that there is no one in the team that you could say could command that box, whether it's a centre-half or a keeper. So we know what a weakness is and everyone that plays against this knows what a weakness is. Kind of middle to front, you know, we're decent. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we know what a weakness is. Cross balls into us with Rangers, you know, and that happens to be their strength. You know, get a free kick, get Tavernier, swing a ball into the box. It's... You know, their strength, unfortunately, kind of plays in our weakness. Uh, so, but I, I wouldn't think it, we're looking at five going on ten or anything. I wouldn't feel that that's going to happen in any game against them. We may no. get Boris back soon as well, which, you know, I think his pace on the right has been sorely missed. Uh, and he's, I think, it, we'll get more out of Eddie before us. They're both fairly rapid players. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't think five or six nils on the, on the cards well you know I'm not suggesting that, that it's possible Lawrence but uh, when it comes down to a dressing room who is unhappy and that's something that Neil Lennon has stated a few times in the past the fact that we don't know how to defend uh, again an admission by Neil Lennon we don't have a game plan something that the vice captain said it does concern me that uh, these games are coming up and we're not in the best of form and we're not in the best frame of mind or state of mind uh, as it were going into the, the rebuild Natasha whoever's in place we look at uh, the fact that Incham will probably follow Frimpong out the door uh, in fact I think that's guaranteed we've also got the, the question of the other three players um, Ayer Eduard and Christie would Julien have been part of that maybe if he didn't have the kind of long term injury problems that he suffered now when I'm looking at the, the three players there the very fact that Julien is now out uh, we need to move heaven and earth to make sure 
that Ayer is still at this club. Um, I've I've suggested uh, various times this season. Some might agree or disagree. I would actually give him the captaincy of this this football team uh, for next season, uh, and it will be key to any rebuild that Chris Ayer is part of. That I know the quality that Edward has. But he needs to go. It's the end of the cycle at Celtic for him. It's the same route that Dembele has taken and others before him. When I look at Christie, he's always going to divide opinion. Um, you know, we do have the the talent of Turnbull in the team. That you know, for me, you look at that as an antidote if, if Christie's to leave. But I, I don't think we can afford to lose him. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's something I said before as well. Is that you know, the talk has been about building a team around Turnbull or Sorrow or McGregor. To me, the absolute ideal candidate to build the team around would be Ayer. Do I think we can keep on? Probably not. But he's absolutely ideal for doing that. He's stable at the back. He can be good for, you know, Welsh to learn from. I know they were both suspects for the goal of the weekend. But Ayer is that sort of player that you can build a team from. You know, you need that core strong at the back and Ayer can be that. And in terms of the person he is as well, I think you're right. I think he perhaps does show more leadership qualities than McGregor. I think he could be a good captain. Um, but the problem for us is, and it is the problem when we bring in these excellent young players, is that they have ambition and they have ability to match that ambition. So he can he could go and join the AC Milan team. He could go into the biggest leagues in Europe. And that's what makes it hard to hold on to these players. And that's a unique problem that Celtic have compared to the rest of the league, is that we have players of the ambition and the amb- ability that they do have one eye on the door and one eye on their future. And if we could pull something out the bag to make Ayer stay for another couple of seasons, then I would be absolutely delighted. Um, but I think him personally is probably pretty keen on a move this summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll talk about cycles and I think that happens. It's a natural thing for players like Ayer. You know, um, at some stage in his Celtic career, he's loaned out to Kilmarnock. Next thing you know, he's in the team, he's commanding and people are talking about a move to AC Milan. The interest was confirmed, of course, by Paolo Maldini. Now, I made the reference in relation to do you think Laxalt, um, sorry, do you think Ayer is at that standard that he could make it at an AC Milan? Well, just look at Laxalt. We've got an AC, we've got an AC Milan player playing for Celtic. And for me, Ayer is head and shoulders above Laxalt in terms of a footballer. Now, I'm going to ask you, Lawrence, because I'm, I'm going back a wee bit. It's obviously a great honour to captain Celtic, a, a massive honour. There's not been a massive amount, really, of captains over the years because, you know, the armband goes to someone who seems to hold it for years and years. And Scott Brown's been a fantastic captain for Celtic. But I remember the club, part of the process of keeping, and I'm not comparing Ayer to Kenny Dalglish, the, the part of the process of keeping Dalglish a further season was to give him the captaincy. You'll remember it yourself. So he was given the captaincy uh, and he stayed longer than he wanted to stay because he was ready to move and that was part of a new deal. Um, are we at a different stage in terms of football where a new deal plus the captaincy would be seen as a bonus for a player to stay at Celtic? Listen, I've got to try it out. Captaincy, we used to try testimonials as well. To keep them longer alongside being here now six years, you know, you'd write, you'd write it into the new contract, yeah, yeah, testimonial. Mind you, you know, that used to be when a million pounds was worth some of the football players, but <laughs> you know, it's kind of, yeah, you've got to try it. I definitely have I a, 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 as captain, he's, he's, I think, outside of Brown and that team, he's probably it's, it's one of the things we suffer for after losing like Lustig and Tierney, Foster, mm-hmm. Gordon, those players were all leaders. Mm-hmm. You look at the team just now and you're going, well, where's your leaders in the team? 
Uh, that's interesting. Be, that's interesting, Lawrence. And again, there's been a bit of nineties chat today. But when you tear the leaders out of the side all at one time, we did it with Roy Aiken and Tommy Burns and Billy Stark and Mark McGee and Frank McIverney, and it was a huge and Mick McCarthy, a huge amount of experience. But they were all leaders in their own right, and they all left the club within a, a very short period of time. And it takes years to then have three or four leaders on the park. Uh, and I think you're absolutely spot on with that. We did lose a lot of leadership in the players that you've mentioned. Uh, but for me, we'll see how that goes with Ayer because there's going to be a lot of interest, as you say, Natasha, because of the talent of the boy. And it, wouldn't ex- it would not surprise me if he went to the very, very top in European football. Um, it's been absolutely brilliant to be back in the hot seat. Thanks um, to Kevin Graham for giving me it back. That's really greatly appreciated. Uh, the comments have been brilliant. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm aware that the sniper has to be on better form to identify some of the, the lesser um, kind of comments that have been coming through. So I'll have a work through them. But all that's left for me to say is thank you once again for Lawrence Conley and uh, Natasha Miko for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's E-A-S-Y to 203203. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company go to iHeartResults.com for more sports social podcast network sports social podcast network at Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.